Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, welcome. Welcome to the clinic. I hope we have a good uh, session today. It's an important one. But before I'll also start talking about uh, um, treatment, uh, we're going to talk about uh, how we're going to, the different types of treatment and the different diagnoses um, and why we even do any of this. Um, this is important to talk about because we've had a, I've had a few uh, patients who have come into the clinic this week and they just had different ideas as to how they want to approach their, their treatment. Um, and, and there's a lot of questions surrounding it and why we do the things we do, especially in mental health. Um, and it's important to, to recognize that, yes, people do have certain reservations and people have different ideas. But before we get into that, let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, one of the things that we um, do in the clinic, obviously, is we have people come in, we, we evaluate our patients, you know, you go to see a doctor, you go to see a medical doctor, a specialist, or you come to a psychiatrist, and one of the things to consider is, why do we even do that? Why, why do we go to the doctor? Usually, something's happened, we don't feel good, and we, and we want to get uh, a diagnosis. We want to find out what's going on with us. So we go there. What do we do on, on our end of things? When you come to the clinic, the first thing that we do is we look for a diagnosis. And it sounds obvious, but the real question is, what is it that we're doing when we look for a diagnosis? What we're really doing is something we call screening. So screening just means I'm going to look to see if there's something there with the purpose of treatment or not treatment. Because sometimes we can screen for things, and as you, may, as you already know, I'm sure, there's a lot of times we can come up with diagnoses or conditions or look at certain things, and all of a sudden we realize, well, you know, this is happening for you or you have this, but we really don't have much of a treatment or a cure or anything along those lines. common example is a common cold. You know, we get colds every year, and, uh, and it goes around, and people have it. And you come to the doctor, and what do we say? Well, we can kind of help out with some of the symptoms, and, you know, maybe you can take uh, acetaminophen, or you can make sure that you take some nice warm fluids and soups and whatnot and, and get some rest, and that's really the, the treatment for it, if you will. It's, there's symptomatology. There's nothing much else. I'm not going to get rid of it. It has to run its course, as we say. So there's certain things that we need to evaluate, so it's important to make sure that you go to the doctor and you kind of see what is it that I have but with the goal the goal for everybody when you do that is you say well what am I going to do about this what what treatment can I do about this uh, what what can I take what can I do to make this better and it's important to consider that there are different options and many different options what's come up in clinic recently is when people come in and they're diagnosed with either depression or psychosis or bipolar disorder uh, a lot of times we say, okay, well, this is what I'm diagnosing you with. And the treatment is these different medications or these different therapies. And a lot of times the patients will say, well, gee, doctor, I don't, I don't know that I want to do that because I have deep faith in God and I don't want to take medication. I, I strictly just want to pray. And I know that if I pray, God's going to grant me a miracle and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to get better that way. Or people will think that if they 
they have this diagnosis and if they take medication or they can't get better on what they call on their own without any kind of treatment, then all of a sudden there's weakness. There's, there's, uh, they, they failed somehow. Their faith isn't strong. And so it's important to discuss these things because we need to really look at our medical treatment and our approach to medicine and healing in the light of God and in the light of how God made us. So one of the things to talk about is what are the different uh, things that happen? So when you come to the clinic, um, I give you treatment options. And at that point, you have choices. These are just options. Nobody's going to force you to do one thing or another. So you do have the options of listening to the different treatments, listening to uh, what the doctor has to say as far as your diagnosis. And you know, we know this very well because if we get a diagnosis and we're not happy with it, we can always ask for a second opinion. So we can say, well, you know, I, I appreciate that this is what you're thinking as far as my condition or what you think I have, but I'm going to ask a different doctor because they might have a second opinion. And it's not to say that one doctor is more right than the other. It could be. But it's also because different people are going to see things from a different perspective. So it's very fair. I always welcome that. And I say, this is what I see. But you can always talk to one of my colleagues or a different doctor and find out, is this really what, what you have? Now, let's assume that you've been to two, three different physicians and you've gotten a few different opinions. And they're all about the same. Let's just assume that that's how it goes. And you ended up with the same diagnosis, the same results from the various physicians. What are your options now? So one of your options is to say, well, I don't want any treatment. And that's perfectly fine. I don't want any treatment. And I realize that this is the course of what's going to happen. And I choose to not have treatment. I see this happen a lot, especially in cases such as cancer wards or things of that nature, where people say, gosh, I got a gr really, really grim diagnosis. I know I'm not going to make it. Uh, they told me I have only so much to live. And I really don't want to go through all these treatments because what they told me about the treatment is that there's so many side effects and that there's so many different things going on. I'd rather just not have treatment and just live out the rest of my life uh, the way I want and knowing what I know. This can be startling to a lot of family members, a lot of friends, because that's where I get a lot of consults and they say, doctor, come in here. You got to talk to them. You got, you got to make them get their treatment. Um, you know, this isn't good. We know that they're going to pass away, but they got to fight. They got to do something. It's important to consider that, you know, not having, not taking the treatment is, a, is an okay option at times. If, there, if the treatment is worse than the cure, then you have to wonder, you know, what, what's going to happen? If it's worse than the disease, I should say, what's going to happen? Because a lot of treatments, depending on the course of where you are in your medical condition, if the treatment is going to be worse than the disease that you already have, it might not be the best option for you. Sometimes we can say, you know, there's a lot of treatments, but I don't know that it's going to be beneficial at this point. When you come into the mental health clinic, as we're talking about in particular, you have that option to say, you know, I'd rather not have treatment. But, I, but we have to be very clear about what that means. We have to understand that if I choose to not have treatment, I want to know what the potential possibilities are for my mental health. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. So that's one option. One option is to say, okay, thank you, doctor. You gave me a diagnosis. I, I appreciate what you're saying. I understand what the treatment would be. I'm going to choose to not have treatment. Okay. The next option is to say, um, some people say, okay, I want treatment, but tell me what all my options are and I'm going to pick and choose. So, um, you know, the, you lay out all the options and they say, ah, I'll take this, this, or this, depending on what your, what your situation is and what your condition is, that might be okay to choose a few options, but it might also not be the best way to go. You'd have to really speak to your physician about which options to choose. And this happens all the time. I lay out different treatments and I tell my patients, you know, I would recommend out of all these treatments, try A and B. 
you know, or try A and C. It just really depends on each person's individual condition. And it's okay to not choose every single option out there. Um, again, it's very person dependent. The other option is some people say, do everything for me. And I want you to go ahead and give me every, everything you've got. And if you don't, then all of a sudden sometimes people feel like, well, you really didn't do uh, everything you did. You didn't give me the best treatment possible. One thing that's important to remember is that there are a lot of treatments, but that doesn't mean that you need to necessarily get all of them because not all of them are going to help you reach your goals. You really want to fine tune to what it is that you want your goal to be and what treatment is going to get you there or what variety of treatments are going to get you there. But what I want to focus on the remainder of, of, our, of our time for this hour is the idea that you know, it's, it's an all or none in terms of for, for some of the patients that I see that say, I absolutely don't want any medication um, and I only want to rely on prayer and God. And the other option is I want everything that, you, that you've got to me. So sometimes we see, or you've, you've got to treat me with. And sometimes we see these extremes and that can be very, very challenging. So one thing to consider again is if we look at, I only want to rely on God we don't want to negate the fact that, yes, we are relying on God, but I think that we, we really have this idea that we're relying on God all the time, not just with individual treatments. We have to look at how God made us and why it is that we're seeking the help that we need to get. A lot of times it's going to be physical ailments, but other times it is going to be mental illness. The challenging part with that is that we tend to separate the body from the mind, and we separate the body from the mind and from the soul, even though they're happening at the same time. The art of mental illness is that sometimes what's afflicting us mentally can be biological, it can be the chemistries of the brain that are off, and other times it's not necessarily uh, the chemistries of the brain that are off to the point where I need medication for them, but maybe something like a therapy will help or something along those lines. The idea of all these treatments, though, is that none of them are necessarily against our faith belief, our Catholic beliefs, and I say not necessarily because we have to be cautious of what treatments might be um, in terms of especially different therapies or different things that are out there that might be considered trendy or new that we might not necessarily want to follow within our Catholic faith. These are important things to consider because we believe also that God made us in a certain way, and the most important part for the mind is to let the mind get to know God, not to focus on ourselves. That's really going to be the key to all of this, because if we're going to focus on a treatment, we got to remember, I want to get better, but what's the purpose of me getting better? What's the point of me feeling good? Is it so that I can feel good and, and serve myself and improve my own uh, self-worth and, and just feel important about myself? All these things are important. We want to have a good self-esteem, but our end goal has to be to use all that and to make it focus on God. If we don't, if we lose sight of that, that's where we run into trouble. That's where all of a sudden we can say, you know, I'm, I'm going to uh, be good for myself. I'm going to improve myself and I'm going to use my own power. When we do that, when we start saying, I'm going to use my power, the power of the universe, we leave God out of the picture. That's when we can start opening up ourselves to things we really don't want to have in our lives. More about that when we come back.
This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Well, welcome back, Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Welcome to the clinic. Today we're talking about treatment and medications and what this means in light of our faith. There's a lot of confusion sometimes, and it can, and understandably so, you know, we, we believe that we're uh, made by God, and we know that God made us as having a physical body, He made us as having a mind, and He made us as having a soul. We're kind of a a uh, three-part being, Um, and we sometimes get confused as to what does that mean when all of a sudden our body breaks down, uh, our mind isn't working the way we want it to, and what does that mean as far as our treatment? Do we think that if I go to get treatment, I'm not trusting God because I have to put my faith in God. Spiritually, I know that Jesus created, Jesus did miracles and Jesus cured people. And he would always say, your faith has healed you. Um, and so what does that mean for us in, in our life? Does that mean that I don't do that anymore? Does that mean I don't pay attention to, to Christ? Because I think, oh, now I have this medication, so I don't have to rely on God. And I would dare say it's not an uh, either or. I would say it's a both and. I think that we got to remember that God put things in our lives um, in, on this planet, if we're on this planet, God put things there so that we can survive and that we can get through, be it spiritually, be it physically, be it mentally. So let's talk about, during this next part of the segment, let's talk specifically about medications, prescribed medications, pills. When you come to the clinic and you get diagnosed and we offer you different prescriptions, uh, chemical prescriptions, be it something as simple as a, a aspirin over the counter um, or something that we have to prescribe. These are things that we put into our bodies and we wonder how do they work? Well, how do we know what to give you? How do we know, well, this is what I want to prescribe or whatnot? Obviously, we screen for the diagnosis and based on the diagnosis, what we study in medical school is what is that doing to the body? What's the biochemistry as we call it? What are the chemicals in the body that are working or in certain cases not working adequately to where they need to work? And what's the optimum? How do we want them to work? Uh, and these medications that, we, that we've come up with, that we've discovered, hopefully they're going to address those chemical issues. And sometimes they do come with their side effects because obviously we're putting something into our body depending on the medication. And this is where I would say, and I stress, talking to your physician about, well, what is this medication doing in my body? What am I taking it? How is it supposed to work? In other words, what we call the pharmacology. What's the pharmacy doing, you know, the, the pharmacology? What's the chemical in the, in the medicine doing with the chemical in my body in order to help me improve? And these are important things to consider because when I, when I prescribe medications, I see the extremes where people come in and they say, doctor, fix me. I want the pill. I want the one magic pill that's going to fix me. Uh, and then I get the other extreme, like we were saying before, where it's like, nope, I only want to rely on God and I don't want any pills. And, you know, either way it's okay, but I think it's important to have the conversation as to why are we looking at, at both of the extremes and really what's realistic, you know, based on what we know. Now, I'm not against miracles at all. Let's start there. I'm all for miracles. I believe in miracles 100%. 
I also believe in what we've studied and what we know in terms of the medical field and what my experience is. So a lot of patients say, Doctor, I, I truly believe that God's just going to cure this. And I say, I believe it too, in God's time. But in the meantime, if we're here, let's talk about the different treatment options. When it comes to medications, and if we have this idea of, um, you know, fix me, there's got to be a pill, there's got to be something, I believe that there is. I believe that there's a way to, to fix you, but I don't know that there's one pill. And then the other question is, what do you mean by fix me? Really, the most important thing that we have to ask ourselves is, what is our goal? What's the goal that we have in terms of what does that mean for me? Because there's some people who live, who show up and they've lived with chronic pain and they've had all these issues their whole life where they can't really walk well. And to be realistic, I don't know that I'm going to get you to be able to sprint down the street or on a field or in a race or anything along those lines if you've had chronic back pain or leg pain. Um, but we have to be realistic about, well, what does fix it mean in this case? It means you want to be able to walk a little bit further. Yesterday you were walking one block. Maybe now you want to be able to walk five blocks. You are experiencing a certain level of pain perhaps, and you don't want to experience that anymore. Uh, and what we have to consider is that every condition is different. So even every depression is different. We can say, oh, that person was diagnosed with depression and that person was diagnosed with depression. But they're two very different depressions because God made us very individually. And God's plan for us is very individual. So the way we react to things, the way our body reacts, the way our mind reacts, is also going to be individual. This is why it's important to look at the variety of treatment options. One treatment that might work for one particular person might not work for another. We see this all the time. I see my uh, family sometimes will say, oh, you know, gosh, this person's not feeling good. You know what? I've got this old medication in my drawer that my doctor gave me. I think I'm going to have them, you know, have them give it to me. I felt really good taking it. And here, why don't you take this one? And, you know, while that might work, I don't recommend that because that prescription was given to you in particular, and it might not work for the other person, even if you are related. Granted, yes, if I look at the genetics of it all and if one particular, say the mom is suffering from anxiety and she's doing really well on a medication and now I'm treating the daughter or the son, I'll look to that medication again first because obviously there's a genetic component there that's working. But believe it or not, sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes they need a completely different medication. So that's one thing to consider in terms of finding the perfect pill or the perfect medication. You know, even if we look at somebody, you know, we, we talk about the mental health part, but if we look at somebody who's diabetic or who has high blood pressure, there's, it's all different, you know. Some person, uh, one person might say, my diabetes, for my diabetes, I have to eat this kind of diet and I have to only take a few pills. Other, another person might say, well, for my diabetes, I have to take insulin and I have to, you know, have a very much more strict diet because the bodies are working differently. It's the same process within the body, but how it works, how quickly it works, how it reacts to different treatments is going to be different for each person. Some are going to be similar, some not. The idea behind fixing it, however, can be get really frustrating and rightfully so because uh, some of my patients will say, well, doc, I've tried this medication and this medication and this medication. Nothing seems to be working. And that can happen in the field of mental health. It can be very challenging because obviously what we're treating is not necessarily a, a laboratory result. If I'm treating high blood pressure, I can measure high blood pressure. I'm getting some numbers down. If I'm treating diabetes, the same thing. I can keep a look at the log that you keep of how your sugar is during the day. And I, based on that log, I can adjust medication accordingly. In the field of mental health, it's a lot more challenging because our mood, how we feel, 
how we perceive things, our level of depression or anxiety or psychosis or hearing things, it can be different day to day. It can depend on what's affected me. It can depend on uh, what kind of uh, experience I had that day. If uh, everything went right for me, boy, I'm feeling pretty good. My anxiety's pretty low. If all of a sudden I got some bad news that, um, I don't know, somebody got in a car accident or something major happened, uh, there was a tragedy in our family, well, my anxiety is going to be high. Granted, that's also probably going to affect my blood pressure. It's probably also going to affect my diabetes. But again, if I can look at those, I can look at those through the numbers. I can look at the high blood pressure and read that high blood pressure and see, well, do I need to make any adjustments based on that? And I can know how much because it's all quantitative at that point. In the field of mental health, it's very qualitative. And so, one, we want to get on the right medication. But what that means is the right medication might just control how I'm feeling day by day, even though there's going to be fluctuations. A lot of people feel like, oh, if I'm on this pill now and this worked for me today and I felt great for this last week or the last two weeks, that's it. I shouldn't feel depressed anymore. I shouldn't feel anxious anymore. And if I do, oh, something's not working. Not necessarily. It's always good to evaluate the medication. Is it working? Is it not working? How's it making me feel? But at the same time, just because I'm having a bad day, that doesn't mean that the, or excuse me, just because I'm having a, a, taking the medication doesn't mean that I can't have a bad day at the same time. So the medication is there to control most of my, my mental state, my mental well-being, but there's going to be fluctuations based on what's going on. So finding the right medication really means which is the medication that's getting you to feel closest to your goal the majority of the time. If you can get there without feeling like you're breaking down or, or that you're, you're actually able to get through the day, you're, we're pretty good. Now, we're always fine-tuning. We're always trying to see, can we make this better? Can we make you more relaxed? But it's important to recognize that, that it's going to be different. It's going to be different for different people, and sometimes it takes a few trials of different medications to get there. That can be frustrating. But what I can tell you is once a patient finds the right medication, boy, are they happy. Are they, they're, they're satisfied. It happens, you know, where you take the medication, you've been taking it for a while. Some of them, it takes about a month for it to kick in. And that can be very frustrating because all of a sudden you have to have this patience. And now that you're taking it for a while, all of a sudden, one day, two days, you start to say, wow, that normally would have affected me. I was in a situation that normally would have made me very upset or very anxious, and I didn't react that way. My body didn't react, my mind didn't react. I'm feeling more like myself. That's the key, that's the goal. And once we're feeling like ourselves in our Christian faith, what's the point of taking this medication? Does it mean that I didn't have faith in God? No, the medication helped me out because I wouldn't tell somebody who has diabetes not to take their medication. I wouldn't say, you gotta have faith in God to control your sugars. Or somebody who has cancer to say, mm, I think if you had more faith in God, you have to kinda make sure that that faith will help to the cells not to multiply. I, I would always tell them, take your medication because biologically that's how we're built. We're made in a way that our bodies can react to certain things. We need to eat. When we're eating, we're taking in chemicals. We're taking in proteins. We're taking in um, you know, carbohydrates. These are all chemicals that we're taking in that help the body run smoothly. We need that. We absolutely need that. When we drink water, we're taking in the molecule H2O. We're a very biochemical being. And so therefore, these medications are just there to help our biochemistry. Now, let's go to the other extreme where people say, you know, I only want to rely on God. <clears throat> the hard part there is that sometimes it can be faith-based or sometimes it can be culturally based. 
because this isn't true across the board. You know, some people are very comfortable taking medication and say, you know, even though I'm taking medication, I, I know that God is there and I'm using my faith as well. And that's the ideal. That's really what we come down to when it comes to the pills. I say, take your medication and pray. Don't stop praying. We're going to talk about prayer a little bit later on, but that's the important part to consider is that just because I'm taking medication does not mean that I betrayed God. It means that there's a medication out there that we found that's going to help my body get better and help me feel like myself. And our goal, again, every time we're trying to feel like ourselves is so that we can have the right mindset to worship God. That's, that's it at the end of the day. Our whole purpose here is to know God and to love him. Then we want to get our mind in a place where we can know God and we can fully love him to the best that we can in this world, even though it's not perfect. We're, we're flawed as human beings because of our fallen nature. But to the best of our extent, to the, to the best that we can, we want to make sure that we extend our mind and focus on God as much as possible. That's the purpose of taking the medication or doing anything that's going to get our mind in a position where we're thinking clearly. One of the things that um, happens, though, when we say we want to rely on God, it's not necessarily a lack of faith, I've noticed. I think a lot of people feel that taking medication is more of a sign of weakness because we can conflate and it's easy to confuse when we're having conditions of a mental breakdown or a depression or an anxiety or anything along those lines. It's, there's a fine line between, is this being caused by the chemistries in my brain? Or is it something where sometimes people will say, you just need to buck up. You just need to you know, uh, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and, and get your emotions together. It's important to think about that topic and we're gonna talk more about that when we come back. But it's important to consider that just because we're saying that we're taking medication, it's not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign that we can't get better. We have to listen to what our bodies are telling us and sometimes that medication is important.
This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome back to the clinic, Virgin Most Powerful Family. Um, today we're talking about the, ter- the topic of treatment, diagnosis, and what does treatment really mean? You know, we diagnose something, you come to the clinic, you talk to your doctor, uh, and they tell you, you know, gosh, I think you've got this, this, or this. I think this is why you're not feeling well. And based on that, based on that screening method, based on the, the result of that, all of a sudden we start talking about treatments. And different treatments are going to mean different things for different people. You know, we're talking a lot about, do I take medication? Do I rely on God? Do I have to choose? And ultimately, I have to say, it's both, it's both and. We take the medication and we rely on God, assuming that the medication is what is right. One of the things that happens is different forms of treatment. You know, we talk about medication and we think pills all the time. Well, pills are one modality of treatment. And talking to your doctor about the different medications, what they do, what the side effects are, and what it's going to do in your body is very, very important. But remember, that is one treatment modality. We always talk about how we're body, mind, and spirit. The medication is going to help our bodies. It's there for the chemistry, for the biochemistry of how things are going to change. You know, where it's very common, most people will say, gosh, if I have a headache, I'm going to take an aspirin, I'm going to take acetaminophen, I'm going to take ibuprofen. These are different chemicals that we put in our body to help relieve the pain that we're having at the moment. Sometimes the pain that we experience comes from mental illness or physical illness and is being caused by the chemistries in our brain or the chemistries on different organs of our body. It's all really body related. It's not, we say mental illness and physical illness, but the reality is that the organ of the brain is a physical organ. So it's still uh, a physical illness sometimes if we're feeling depressed or anxious and the medications help to, to balance that out. What happens, however, let's say that you come into the clinic to your psychiatrist and we say, you know, I've been talking to you. Uh, Yeah, you are experiencing some depression, some anxiety, but I don't think you need medication necessarily just yet. I think that you can help your brain and you can alter the chemistries in the brain and your well-being and your mind just through therapy. Therapy is another modality of treatment. So it's another medication, if you will. We always think of medications as pills, but therapy can be a medication. Why? It's very easy to see. How we think is going to affect how we feel. It's going to affect how our brain is functioning. If I give somebody good news about something or I wish them well or I'm very positive with them, they're going to start to feel happy. If I'm joking with a person and I make them laugh, they're going to feel happy. That's changing the chemistries in the brain. That's a form of therapy. We say laughter is the best medicine. Laughter is a form of therapy. If you can laugh, why, why do people fill audiences, you know, fill, fill stadiums, fill theaters where we want to hear a comedian? Why is that the case? We, we actually go somewhere so that the whole audience can laugh. It's a form of therapy. We feel really good afterwards. It has altered the chemistries in our brain in such a positive way. There's different types of therapy. So laughter is one form of therapy. Absolutely. It's one of the best forms of therapy ever. If you can get yourself a healthy, clean joke and, and laugh for a while, I highly recommend it. There's other forms of therapy, however, when 
we're feeling depressed, we're feeling anxious, and even the jokes don't sound good. We recognize intellectually that they might be funny, but it's not touching our heart. It's not getting there, and we realize something's just off, but I don't think I need medication just yet. Well, let's talk about therapy. <clears throat> we go and we talk to some a therapist, we talk to a psychiatrist, and we find out that we express to them how we feel. In order for therapy to be effective, however, we have to have something called insight. We have to recognize that there is something in ourselves, not necessarily that's wrong, but something that we might want to change or something that we might want to uh, alter in, in our form of thinking, our form of how we behave, our form of you know how we see the world. And we have to be able to recognize that there's something there that we want to change, but that we're going to have to put in our own effort to do that. And so therapy is not necessarily for everybody. You have to meet those conditions in order to be able to have an effective therapy. Let's say that somebody is fully psychotic or high on drugs or, or completely drunk. If somebody shows up to a session and their mind is altered because they've been drinking alcohol or they're psychotic, therapy is not going to be effective. Their mind is not there. They're not consciously there. And so that can be very challenging because there are some conditions not necessarily because of drug use, but let's say somebody is schizophrenic and that they are fully psychotic and the medication is kind of helping them out, but they haven't reached that insight. They don't recognize that there's something that they're not, that they're not thinking clearly or they believe that they're being chased or they're being followed or they're being watched or that everybody's against them. But if they truly believe that and there's no sense for them to say, gosh, I know I'm having these thoughts, but I know that they're not real or they're not accurate, therapies might not be beneficial because you're challenging somebody who truly believes what they're experiencing. In order for therapy to be effective is, I have to recognize what I'm experiencing, but I have to have this recognition that I want to do something about it. Very commonly when people come in for say couples therapy and they say, gosh, every time my spouse does X, Y, or Z, this is how I react. And I recognize that if I'm reacting this way, it's not positive for the relationship and maybe they're not trying to hurt me, but that's just how I react because when I was a kid, boy, my parents did this or my siblings would do this to me. And so every time I see somebody do that again, I get triggered, even if they're not trying to hurt me. And being able to have that thought process, that's what's going to be key for therapy. Therapy is important because just like laughter, just like a joke, when I can process that with somebody, it alters the brain chemistry. It's a form of treatment. You notice this when we do this every day. If I can sit down with a good friend and have a cup of coffee or, you know, just we sit down to lunch and we just talk about life and those good friends, the good friends that you can actually share your joys with, the ones that you can share your depressions with or your, your sadnesses with and that they uplift you, that they're always looking for what's best for you. When we find that, we notice that we leave that feeling really good. Why do we feel good? Why do we say, oh, it's so nice. I talked to my friend for a couple hours and boy, I feel so much better. It's a form of therapy. You know, you're talking about your, your feelings, you're talking about your concerns, and you got feedback for it. And you were able, hopefully, to be challenged in your thought process. So this is very important. One of the most common therapies that we use is something called CBT, or Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. It's interesting because the goal of Cognitive Behavioral Therapy is to challenge our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions. We notice that there is a link between that, how we think is going to affect how we feel, which is going to affect how we act. And what we do is going to affect how we think again, and it's going to affect how we feel about ourselves. And this triad of thoughts, feelings, and actions is always happening in our mind. It's always happening in terms of what we do, because 
this is how we express ourselves to the world. This is how we know uh, how we are uh, behaving and we get the feedback from the world. If I do something, I see how people react to that. If I say something, I see how people react to that. Now, in my thoughts, one of the challenging things about CBT is that we have something called automatic thoughts, which means when I wake up in the morning, when I'm going through my day, when I'm sitting at my desk, what is it that I automatically think about myself? What is it that's inside of my heart, inside of my mind? Usually, for most of us, we don't jump to positive automatic thoughts. Sometimes uh, people will find that, you know, they sit there and they think, oh, why did I do that? Oh, I should have done that better. Oh, my goodness, why, why can't I ever do that right? We have to challenge these thoughts because these thoughts really affect how we're going to feel. We have to take a step back and say, what is it that is really happening? You know, I can never do that right. Well, when we use words like never or always, that should bring up a red flag. I can never do something right. They say even a broken clock is right twice a day. So we have to really look at what is it that I'm telling myself about me? These thoughts that I'm having, are they accurate? No, I did that right the other day. So that doesn't mean that I can't do that right. In fact, I'm going to do that right again. And just because I didn't do it right so many times, what does that say about me? That automatically means that I'm no good. And then we can go, to, you know, we can follow these thoughts. I'm no good. And so if I'm no good, how can, if I don't think I'm good, how can anybody else think I'm good? And if nobody else thinks I'm good, nobody wants to be my friend. And if nobody wants to be my friend, I'm going to be alone. And if I'm all alone, boy, I'll never be happy. And then if I'm never happy, and we can keep going down this rabbit hole of thoughts. And we have to stop. We have to challenge those thoughts. Because they can take us down this path that we can find negativity anywhere. But then we have to look at what's real. Based on what I'm doing, am I always wrong? No, I'm not always wrong. Well, let's look at the times that I, maybe I have been right. I'm not saying I'm always right either. But let's look at the times that I have been right. Well, no, that was fine. And do I not have any friends? Well, no, my friend just asked me to go out for lunch. They must want to spend time with me. So we start to challenge these thoughts and realize, wow, sometimes we can have these thoughts that are automatic and they're automatically negative. And I have to look at the reality behind that. So that's the thoughts. The thoughts will go into the feelings. And again, we have to challenge our feelings. Boy, I feel really upset because of X, Y, or Z. I think that this person is really trying to hurt me and they're really coming after me and they've said these things about me. So I hear, well, is this, is this for real or not? You know, this is how I feel, but I need to challenge this because just because I feel this way, does this mean that all these things are true? You know, my thoughts tell me something, my feelings are, are telling me something. Boy, I'm really upset because, you know, this person on the news said this and that means this or that and I'm really upset about that. Well, I'll take a step back. Based on what they said on the news, has your life changed? Has anything truly changed? Is that really accurate? Yeah, there's some things that, of course, if you're looking at wildfires and tragedies and things of that nature, that's going to be hard. But there's other things that we listen to or we hear or, or we get into our thoughts and in our feelings. It's important to challenge that. So again, the cognitive behavioral therapy, our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions. What am I going to do about these feelings? How am I going to act? How am I going to act based on these thoughts that I'm having? If I can challenge that and if I can find the positivity and the truth inside of my head, inside of my feelings, then all of a sudden I can start to look at things differently. If we start to think about things in our Catholic world, like God knows God doesn't love me anymore, God's abandoned me, well, how true is that? It would completely go against God's nature. We feel that way sometimes. It's a common feeling. But I need to challenge that feeling because it's not going to be accurate. It's not going to take me anywhere positive, and it's not the truth. So if I look at the truth and I say, well, God loves me even though I'm not perfect, how do I know that? Because he sent Christ to die for me. 
Well, let's start with that. No, I'm not perfect. That's the truth. But God still loves me. Well, let me move towards that love. Let me move to that towards that love of God. What I always find interesting is, if we're talking about cognitive behavioral therapy and it's about our thoughts, feelings, and actions, is there any coincidence that that blends in with our Catholic thought? And where do I go with this? Well, if we're looking at thoughts, feelings, and actions, we know that our thoughts, feelings, and actions are important. Even in, the, in, in our Catholic world, we talk about this every Sunday. At the beginning of Mass, we say what we call the confeder. The confeder says, I have sinned in my thoughts, in my words, and what I have done and in what I have failed to do. In this case, we can take words to mean feelings, right? Because how do we know how somebody feels? They express how they feel. This is important because it's kind of like a Catholic cognitive behavioral therapy. We look at our thoughts, our feelings, our actions. We look at our thoughts, what we send in our mind, send in our, in what I say and what I, and in what I do. More about that when we come back. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support.
Welcome back to the clinic. I hope everybody's doing well today. I hope you're enjoying the show. Today we're talking about diagnosis and treatment and really what that means for us as Catholics. We're talking about treatment in the medical sense and in the mental health sense. And we're talking right now also about therapy. So we've talked about pills. We've talked about what does it mean to get a prescription, making sure you talk to your doctor about what your prescriptions mean. And right now we're talking about therapy and what what does therapy really mean? One of the most common forms of therapy we're talking about was cognitive behavioral therapy, where we challenge our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions. And I was saying, this is no coincidence that when we talk about thoughts, feelings, and actions in the Catholic world, this is also where we look at where we can fall into sin. At the beginning of every Mass, we talk about how we can sin, and we apologize to each other, and we say, I have sinned in in my thoughts, in my words, and what I have done, and what I have failed to do. Failure to action as an action. This is important to consider and why. Why do I blend these two? Why do I say, well, it's interesting that we talk about CBT as thoughts, feelings, and actions, and yet we also talk about this in terms of how we sin. It's important because when we do therapy for CBT, in a way it's looking like it's an examination of the mind, not an examination of conscience, but it's an examination of the mind where we ask ourselves, am I thinking truthfully? Am I feeling truthfully? Am I acting truthfully to myself? And that's fine, we can go with that. But if we stop there, we're falling short. Because if you notice, when we examine our conscience under our Catholic faith, we say, am I speaking correctly? Am I thinking correctly? And am I acting correctly in the eyes of God? How does God see me? I can look at how people see me and how other people around act around me and if I'm doing things right to please others, but really, how does God see me? It's an examination of conscience. And it's interesting that if I'm not thinking correctly, and if I'm not acting correctly, and if I'm not challenging my feelings, then my mind sometimes isn't going to be doing well. I might fall into a depression. I might fall into an anxiety uh, or a despair, where I might not need medication. I just need to challenge those thoughts. I need to do my therapy. In the same way, in the Catholic world, if we don't think correctly, if we don't speak correctly, if we don't act correctly, in the eyes of God, we consider that sin. We might not feel good. Why is it sometimes that after we go to confession, we feel really good? Because the same way that the mind can be affected that way, the soul can be affected that way. So of course, I always recommend therapy whenever there's good insight, whenever people recognize that they need a change or that they want to do something in their lives to help them think differently or act differently or react differently to situations. It's not just an examination of the mind as we do in therapy, but for us as Catholics, really it comes down to the examination of conscience. We can use CBT as a base, but it's no different really other than we need to include God in the picture. Because one of the things that we talk about in terms of therapies is, am I doing the right thing? Do I have the good insight? If I don't include God in the picture, then I'm just focused on me. Then there's no sense of, okay, so I'm doing better for myself, but what's my end goal? When we look at how we're made and what our true end goal is in the spiritual world, once we include God in that, then it makes sense. I have to do this right in the eyes of God. That's where we find peace. That's where people find that they feel great and it doesn't matter what's going on around them. Now I don't care what people think about me or don't think about me. If I'm right with God, everything else falls into place. If I'm right with God, I'm going to take my medication that I know is right and I have peace with that. If I'm right with God, I'm going to listen to my therapist, but I'm going to make sure that I put everything in the light of God. Another form of therapy that's very common right now is people talk about mindfulness, and they start to use 
Eastern type mindfulness where they really focus on the person and they focus on who you are and they would call it centering prayer and I focus on how I'm feeling in the moment and I focus on me, me, me and I open myself up in terms of how, you know, the powers of the universe and where's my anxiety and how am I right now in this moment in relation to nature and all those things are good for calming the person down they're going to see some effect but we're leaving God out of the picture Meditation is never bad. Meditation is always good. In the Catholic world, we've learned meditation from the monks, from our fathers in the deserts, from different people. They're always in meditation. But what does meditation mean? It doesn't mean for me to focus on my emotions and my feelings in order to just make myself feel better. Everything is geared towards how can I get closer to God? So I am going to focus on the moment. I'm going to focus on my moment right now, and I want to meditate on how I'm feeling. But I'm going to meditate on how I'm feeling and how that's getting me closer to God. That's the meditation that we do as Catholics. This is why something like the rosary is such an important meditation. When we're praying the rosary, we're praying the Hail Marys, but the rosary is a meditation on the life of Christ. Our end goal is to unite ourselves fully with Christ. So it makes sense that if we're meditating on the life of Christ, we're going to feed the soul that way. We're going to reach that connection that we need to make, and we're going to be the vine and the branch together. Not the branch falling off of the vine, but feeding from, from the, uh, the branch and the vine together from that soil that comes from God and Jesus. It's important to, to note that because I have a lot of my Catholic patients who ask me and they say, oh, I heard meditation's really bad. I, I'm not going to meditate or I'm not going to do these things because I've heard that, that it's a terrible practice and it's going to take me in the wrong direction. Well, no, meditation is great. The end goal is Christ. The best meditation is when we're praying the rosary or when we go before the tabernacle and we just present ourselves to God. If we're there in front of the tabernacle and we just focus on Jesus and what that means for us and that he is there for us and everything he did for us in his life, uh, in his death and resurrection, that's the meditation that we need. That's the kind of therapy that's going to heal the soul and the mind all at the same time. And so that's very important. I never discourage anybody from meditating. It's always a question of what's my end goal? Is my end goal God? Then we're in the right direction. And lastly, I save the best for last. So when we talk about treatment, and we've talked about pills and, medi and medications that were prescribed, we've talked about different therapies, something like a, a CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy, which is really an examination of the mind. But really what we want to do is an examination of our conscience. How is it that we're behaving in the eyes of God? And meditation is good. Meditation is always great. Something like Alexio Divina, something about sitting in front of the tabernacle, reading the Bible, these are important meditations to keep in mind because that's what's going to bring us closer to God. And that's where the true healing takes place. And that's what brings us to save the best for last is prayer. Prayer as a treatment is great because what's the ultimate, what's the, what's the meditation that we're doing? What is it, what's the purpose of that? What's the purpose of prayer? It's really to bring us closer to God. And that's where the miracles happen. When people say, Doc, I don't want to take medication. I just want to do my miracle. I just, I'm waiting for a miracle from God. I'm not opposed to that at all. I say, God will provide miracles. That's, that's not a problem. But what are we doing to request those miracles? One of them is God's going to say, well, I provided you medication. I provided you an examination of conscience. I provided you a mind to do that. I provided you medication, as you see, to cure bodily uh, illnesses and mental illnesses. But when it comes to prayer, what is it that we're praying for? Are we praying for a quick miracle and we want to just lead, lead our lives the same way? Or are we willing to say, I'm going to pray for this miracle, but that means that there's got to be a change in my life. And again, that comes back to the therapy, that insight. 
that we have to recognize and say, you know what, maybe I'm not doing this right in, in my life. I think I'm doing it right because everybody else says it's okay. Everybody else is doing it, so that's fine. Well, I'm not as bad as that person. Look at what they're doing. I'm much better than that. And it's easy to fall into that. It's easy to fall into that mind process because it's very common. How could we not think that way? We're always comparing ourselves to who am I better than or who's, who am I worse than or what's happening. That's human nature. It's what we do. But really, when it comes to comparing ourselves to ourselves in the eyes of God, that's where the true prayer takes place. If we look in the Gospels and we look at when miracles happen for people, what was going on? What was happening during those miracles? Well, people would see Christ and they would say, Jesus, Son of God, you can heal me if you, if, if you want to. You have the power. I know you can do that. And I know that I will get better if you want me to be healed. And Christ says, your faith has healed you. And that's important. It's important to, to recognize that. And this is, I think, where we fall into the trap of thinking like, well, if I, my faith must not be good and that's why I'm sick. That's not necessarily the case. There's cases where they ask Jesus, why is this man blind? Which of his parents sinned? Or why is this man not well? Is it because he sinned or his parents sinned? And Jesus said it had nothing to do with that, meaning that it had nothing to do with a lack of faith or a sin that took place, and that's why they're not well. He said this is just the way God wanted it. So we need to consider that as well. But when the miracles took place, we have to look at what was in the heart of the people as they approached Christ. Jesus was crucified by the authorities because he was claiming to be the Son of God. They didn't like that. That was called heresy for them because even though they were waiting for the Son of God, Nobody could be the Son of God because that was going to be a problem. And so when Jesus was crucified for this, it was because of what he was claiming. When these people, when it, whether it be the lepers or somebody who was blind or somebody whose hand was deformed, whenever they went to Christ and said, I know that you're the Son of God, you can heal me, they were risking everything. Because at that point, they are also declaring that Jesus is the Son of God. They are also saying that, you know, this is what I believe. They are within that realm of heresy, if you will, for the local authorities. So they were actually risking their lives in order to say that Jesus is the Son of God and that this miracle is going to take place. That's the level of faith they had. Because if we think about it, how do we know that that was the risk that they were taking? Well, when Jesus was arrested, even St. Peter, of all people, denied Christ because he was afraid. Because if he would have said, yes, this is the Son of God, he would have been crucified right along with Christ. He wasn't ready for that at the time. But these people who had nothing else, it's, they recognized at that moment that Jesus is the Son of God and this is worth risking everything. Sometimes it gets to the point of having nothing else. Sometimes this is where our faith really grows and this is where our healing takes place. When we feel like we're abandoned, we're lepers, we're off to the side, there is nothing else there. Actually, that's where kind of we find Christ. When we've been given a terrible diagnosis, I had a patient who was diagnosed with uh, end-stage kidney disease and they had to do dialysis and they were really were looking grim, grim and they were, they were tired of the dialysis and they realized, I've got nothing else but Christ now. I'm going to rely on Christ. And they stopped the, the dialysis. Now, they didn't get better. They took their natural course and they passed away within about three, four months. But they got to the point where they realized, I don't need anything but Christ at this point. Their situation was, was very uh, unique in terms of the dialysis versus mental health. I mean, we need to compare these two situations and realize that sometimes medication does help, and we do recommend it. But at the end of the day, the bottom line is, when we're looking for a diagnosis and when we get treatment, 
It is important to consider the different medication options, the different therapy options, and never ever stop praying because we're body, mind, spirit. So we're going to need all three. This doesn't mean that we don't have faith in God. It doesn't mean that we've denied God. It really means that we're recognizing how God made us and praising God in each way. We pray to God by taking care of our bodies. We pray to God by taking care of our minds. And we pray to God by elevating our hearts to Him as well. Remember this next time you need treatment. There's different options. It's different for everybody. Talk to your doctor individually and see what's right for you. And until next time, this is Dr. Sandoval. Bye from the clinic. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests O my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole Church, grant it love and the light of thy Spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou thyself maintain them in holiness. O divine and great High Priest, May the power of thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin most powerful, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.